Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Utilizing low-dose radiation scans that reveal cancers, cardiac issues, precursors of dementia, and more. Information about early health screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. 25 days. That is all that's left before Georgia's primaries. And if you want to know where this campaign stands 25 days out, you don't have to look much further than the ads. Illegals flooding our border. Skyrocketing gas prices. Former U.S. Senator David Perdue is trailing Governor Brian Kemp in the GOP primary for governor. And in this final stretch, he's going all in on the claim at the heart of his candidacy. The brink of war. Folks, that all started right here when Brian Kemp sold us out and allowed radicals to steal the election. And Kemp, he's trying to steer this race toward his conservative record as governor. Brian Kemp ignored Washington. He got us back to work and back to school. Kemp gave us the freedom to reopen our business when other states were forced to shut down. Meanwhile, Democrat Stacey Abrams wants to float above all that intra-party warfare. And for now, she can. She doesn't have any challengers, so her ads are packed with feel-good energy. During the time of the pandemic, it was very hard for everybody. Then I got a phone call from Stacey Abrams. Oh my God, how are you doing? It just made my day. And while Purdue and Kemp have sucked most of the oxygen out of this campaign season, that has left some candidates trying anything to stand out. UGA football star Herschel Walker looks like he might be running away with the GOP nomination for U.S. Senate. So in one ad, one of his opponents, Agriculture Commissioner Gary Black, awkwardly struggles to put on a football uniform, mouth guard, and helmet. I'm probably not your first choice to compete on a football field, but I'm running for the U.S. Senate because I've scored points for Georgia on different fields. One more data point as we make the case that these ads signal where we're at in this race. I'm Raphael Warnock. I'm a dad, a senator, a pastor, but a magician? I'm not. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock there acknowledging the reality of Democrats' predicament in Washington. A stalled agenda amid partisan gridlock, inflation, and a war in Ukraine. Creating jobs, fixing infrastructure, expanding health care. I approve this message because that's not magic. That's doing the job for Georgia. How do campaign ads signal where the rest of this primary season is headed? I'm Sam Greenglass, politics reporter at WABE. I'm Raul Bally, also a WAB politics reporter. And I'm Emma Hurt, a reporter at Axios. This is Georgia Votes 2022, a weekly podcast from WABE about the midterm elections. I vote because it's a privilege. I vote it's a duty. because I want to make an and impact. I vote because I want leaders who care voting about my future. Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. So candidates have been up on the air for a while now, and it feels like we've been making predictions about these races for so long, but... Voting is actually almost here. Early voting starts Monday. Some absentee ballots have started going out. Emma, 
what do you hear when we listen to these ads and candidates are starting to hone in on their closing messages? You know, before we get into the details, I just want to say for people who might not realize that the reason we talk about ads is because this is the main way that candidates communicate with regular people. You know, we go to press conferences and read press releases, but most voters don't actually see that. Most voters interact with candidates via advertisements and a lot of money and focus grouping and polling and strategy goes into planning these. So what we're seeing in the governor's race right now, for example, is that Kemp is focused a lot on his reopening strategy. It's kind of an uplifting message of, you know, I was, wasn't was afraid to uh, release lockdown early to help businesses stay open. And he's talking a lot about his record, about what he's done as governor, which is really implicitly um, hammering his message against David Perdue, which is, I have a record. I've been in office. You lost your last election. And that's basically what he's been arguing, again, reflecting this lead that he has in the polls. Um, he's feeling pretty good right now. But at the same time, we have to make sure we're paying attention to the negative ads that are still firing against Purdue from the Kemp team and against Kemp from the Purdue team, because these ads um, can really move the needle. And Kemp's team is not letting up on those, even though he does have this lead in the polls. You hear it when he's on the trail and he says, we can't take this primary for granted. But at the same time, he always closes with a line about Stacey Abrams, again, pointing himself towards the general election. And Raul, I know Georgia is seeing a lot of ads right now, but really that's probably nothing in comparison to the ads we're going to see as we get into the summer and the fall and the November election. Like, are campaigns squirreling away cash for those bigger ad buys later on? Or is this truly an onslaught in this moment when you have some important primaries coming up? It really depends on the candidate. It depends on the race. And it even depends on how much money you have in the bank right now. You know, we're seeing some candidates who are really kind of uh, pushing their name as much as they can right now. I think one name I would think of is, is Latham Sadler, who's in that Senate race. You have other candidates who are just trying to get to a runoff, especially in some of those crowded fields. What you're inferring to is down the road, we haven't seen anything yet. The crush of ads that's coming um, later in the summer and, of course, the fall, it's going to be incredible. Yeah, and I'll just say, I mean, some candidates who are confident about their time in the general election, like Raphael Warnock, for example, and outside groups have already made big ad buys for the fall. So they're already laying the groundwork. So, like, if you are in danger of a runoff, you are going to leave it all on the table right now. If you're trying to get traction, you're going to spend now. If you're probably going to be okay, you're probably going to be the nominee, you're saving back that money to make buys for later in this campaign. Yeah, exactly. You're making strategic decisions. But as Raul said, Latham Sadler, his shot is a runoff with Herschel Walker. That's what he's trying to do. So they're putting it all on the table right now. If you him and you have campaign cash, spend it now because you might not get the chance later. Mm -hmm. So it is also debate season. That is another place where we are starting to hear candidates make these same closing arguments on the debate stage. I will work every single day to make sure that Stacey Abrams is never your governor or your next president. That's, of course, Governor Brian Kemp at last Sunday's WSB debate. And these were the first words out of David Perdue's mouth at that same debate. The election in 2020 was rigged and stolen. Now, there is one more debate on Sunday between the gubernatorial candidates. It's hosted by the Atlanta Press Club. You can hear all the Press Club debates on your radio to WABE 90.1. So plenty more debate to come. But Raul, this first debate kind of felt like a moment. 
to me at least. What was your reaction? I don't know if it was a moment. I know that uh, some Kemp supporters were hoping for a stronger performance, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. And, and I don't think Purdue got his moment. You know, election cycle after election cycle, we asked the question, will a party, and either party, will come back from a divisive primary? We've asked that about Democratic and Republican primaries. Now, after that debate, I talked to some Republicans. They were like, yeah, we're going to come back together because of opposition to Stacey Abrams. But there are still those handful of Republicans who worry about the dynamic of former President Donald Trump and what that means for November. And so, Emma, when Raul there is talking about Republicans needing to come back together, part of what's in the air here is this debate was pretty nasty between Kemp and Purdue. I mean, the strain in their relationship seemed to be really on stage for everyone to see. Um, I'm curious, listening to that tape, what does it say about this moment in the gubernatorial campaign and the long-time relationship between Kemp and Purdue. This was really the first time that we saw the full force of the tension, the hatred, you might argue, between these two candidates. And it was dramatic. I mean, as you said, I think the moment was just watching this feud um, right there in, in full color. They're not holding back from each other. They were literally shouting over each other and arguing. And you're right. I mean, two years ago, Kemp was campaigning for Purdue. Four years ago, Purdue helped convince President Trump to endorse Kemp. And so this change is really dramatic. But, you know, they did shake hands, which is a big deal in that kind of tense moment. And uh, Purdue has, you know, pledged to support Kemp if he wins. At the end of the day, what Republicans are counting on is that no Republican is going to vote for Stacey Abrams or is going to sit back if it means that Stacey Abrams wins. So, Raul, the reason I think I felt like this first debate was a moment was that opening statement from Purdue where the first words out of his mouth were the election was stolen and rigged. Purdue is banking on these falsehoods about the 2020 election. You were out in North Georgia last week. You went to debates for the secretary of state race, the ninth congressional district race a get-out-the-vote rally, and there was lots of this talk about election fraud. There is a reason that Purdue is leaning so hard into these statements. I'm curious if that is resonating on the campaign trail with voters. Just talk me through what you heard. So I went to a congressional debate in Northeast Georgia, and I talked to a number of voters, including Mary Bear from Lakemont, and she believes some sort of fraud happened with the 2020 election. She has issues with Georgia's voting machine. And this is how she finished our conversation. It's not over. I, I just don't think that what they did, and I also think that they were in cahoots with Stacey Abrams. I really do. From there, I went to LJ, Georgia, for the first Secretary of State debate among the Republican candidates. I had a very interesting conversation with James Sturgeon of LJ. And while I'm talking to him, you'll hear a second person jump in who doesn't know him. It's Diana Strumberger. That was the other person. And this was kind of that exchange that kind of crystallizes what we're seeing out there. There's a lot of Republican friends of mine that I know that are not. They will not go back to the ballots. They're not going to do it because they don't trust it. They said, why? I need to do other things. So they're not going to go. How do you combat that? What do you mean, how do I combat that? It's going to take years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to take years to get the trust back. You know, trust is just like in a marriage. 
you lose your spouse's trust, you can't get that back. But if we don't vote, then how do we but, make sure that our voices are heard? But what if you do vote and it gets stolen again? So what difference does it make? But if you do vote, then you're making sure that your voice is heard. Okay. Not if it doesn't get counted. But if you don't vote, then you're just, you know, throwing it up in the wind on who might win and who might not. And you're throwing it to the Democrats, for sure. One thing that really struck me from the first debate on this topic is that even Kemp wouldn't say that 2020 was a totally clean election. And to me, that just shows how much these false claims have permeated the discourse within the Republican Party. The fact that you're hearing this on the campaign trail, but even nods to it from Governor Kemp on the debate stage. Yeah. And I mean, back in the throes of 2020, Kemp, he never said he thought it was a clean election. He always maintained this nuance because a lot of Republicans are really upset about it. However, I will point out there was a really interesting poll from the AJC recently that showed more than half of Republican primary voters are either very confident or somewhat confident in the election, which is a switch from January when more than half did not feel that way. So, I mean, there is still this discourse deep within Republican circles, but that was an interesting data point that might show that maybe this is shifting. And Republicans would argue it's because of the major election, quote, integrity law they passed last year. And that is what they're hoping will convince people to vote again. Let's take a break. You're listening to Georgia Votes 2022 from WABE in Atlanta. Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging, believing it's not just about living longer, it's about living healthier longer. Providing medical diagnostics to help catch deadly or debilitating diseases early. You can learn more on proactive screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Welcome back to Georgia Votes 2022. I'm Sam Greenglass. This week, Governor Kemp signed a boatload of public safety-related bills into law. He did it in Buckhead, which, just to refresh everyone's memory, was the center of a debate about whether the neighborhood should secede from the city of Atlanta and become its own city. Raul, let's zoom out for a second here. Why Buckhead and what message is Kemp trying to send here about crime? So for those in our audience who don't know, Buckhead is a high-end neighborhood it's where a lot of the business district is, some of the high-end shopping and high-end homes. Uh, it has been, and I want to use this word carefully, the center of crime, not as much in the numbers, but in media and social media spotlight. So understand, this is it's much more because of the spotlight that's been around it. Um, because crime is a problem all over the city of Atlanta. It's been an issue in Metro Atlanta, in Macon, in Augusta, and other parts of the state. But it is something that is getting the attention of people in Georgia and more specifically voters. And Purdue held a dueling press conference at a Buckhead gas station, also trying to emphasize this point about crime. Emma, how do you see crime playing a role in this campaign, not only in the primary, but looking ahead to November? Look, it's a big one. I mean, this is and it hits about as close to home as you can for people, their own safety, the safety of their children and families. 
And politically, we're seeing Purdue really, uh, really latch on to this. He is the challenger, right? So he's trying to create some daylight between him and Kemp, as we've talked about. And this is one issue that Kemp has refused to take a stand on, whether Buckhead should become a city. And Purdue tried repeatedly during the recent debate to get Kemp to change his mind, to take a stand. And Kemp pivots and saying, look, you're talking about the city of Buckhead. I'm working with the Georgia State Patrol on crime broadly, on a crime suppression unit in the city. Um, but looking ahead to the general, I mean, while this is an issue that hits us all universally, crime, Democrats and Republicans really disagree about how to handle it. I mean, Republicans' answer to this has been the constitutional carry law, for example, that just was signed to remove concealed handgun permits. But that is not, we know, how Democrats think about lessening crime. Okay, let's talk about Democrats for a moment while we're there. There are lots of other races where there are primary challengers. We mentioned that leader Stacey Abrams does not have a challenger. Others do. They've gotten less attention. Is there a clear ideological divide between the top candidates in any of these races? Just thinking back to like some of the presidential Democratic contests that we've had where there's, you know, maybe a more progressive nominee and more centrist nominee. Or do those ideological confines fit less neatly in a non-presidential? Democratic race. I mean, in the 7th District, that's definitely a narrative that's been told. Carolyn Bordeaux has established herself as a moderate. Remember, she just flipped this district, so this was a moderate district. Um, Lucy McBath has aligned herself closely with uh, President Biden and, you know, doesn't label herself as a progressive, but others do. I think if you look at their voting records, they're pretty similar, but that is a narrative that's being applied. Um, In this In the lieutenant governor and the secretary of state races, Rule, let me know if you disagree, but these are a lot more muddled. Um, These are lesser known candidates statewide. Many of them have held elected office before. And so the ideological divides there, I don't see as being as pronounced. I I would agree with that. And, 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 And I base that on some of the commercials, for example. Floyd Griffin, uh, who's a former state senator, former uh, mayor from the city of Milledgeville in central Georgia. He's just talking about his experience and why he should be the person um, who should be the you know the Democratic nominee for Secretary of State. You're hearing the same thing from some of the candidates uh, for lieutenant governor. They're talking more about experience. So, are, are there some you know issue divides? Probably, but in terms of what I've seen and what I've heard, it's it's a lot more um, experience and style that you're hearing about. These Democratic primaries are really hard for candidates to break through on, especially because there's not a primary in Stacey Abrams's race or really a competitive one in Raphael Warnock's race. So Democratic primary voters are also maybe not as engaged as uh, one would need to be able to speak to them more directly if you're in the, one of these other ones. You know, that's what I was going to ask, because on one hand, on the Republican side, we were talking about um, is all of this warfare between the top candidates going to be a challenge for un- unifying the party back together in November? But on the flip side, I wonder if that also means that Republicans are more engaged at this point in the race where maybe Democrats haven't activated as much yet because, you know, there's just not either competitive races at the top of the ticket on the Democratic primary ballot or candidates that people have the strong attachment to lower ballot that are going to bring Democrats to actually vote in this primary part of the contest. It's an interesting point, um, I think. Perhaps some Democratic activists would be worried about that. But at the same time, they would counter that these Republican primary voters who are engaged are fighting over in some respects, like 
the essence of the election and whether it was stolen, and therefore maybe the damage that would cause would neutralize any advantage to an activated primary base. But we do know that Republican voters are better at voting. They have been historically in Georgia recently. They show up more for primaries, runoffs, things like that. So as we're talking about voting here, some early voting is underway. More is going to start next week, and that will only keep ramping up. What clues will you all be keeping an eye on as we start to see more ballots being turned in over these next couple of weeks? You know, in early voting, we really watch the numbers that we get from county elections about how many absentee ballots have been turned in. Applications have been requested, the outstanding ballots that um, may be coming in. It seems to me almost all of the metro counties are publishing those in real time on their websites. They're already publishing now the the overseas ballots that have already been cast. I think I've counted like a couple dozen ballots already cast in the metro area. So there is there are a lot of clues we can gather from county elections offices and certainly the campaigns are keeping a razor sharp eye on those as well. And I'm really going to be watching the numbers in in rural Republican counties as clues on turnout. So we've been talking for a couple of weeks now about Georgia Votes 2022. That voting is now here. Georgia is voting. That is it for this episode of Georgia Votes 2022 from WABE in Atlanta. Thanks to Axios's Emma Hurt and WABE's Rowell Bali. I'm Sam Greenglass. See you next week. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org slash election 2024. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.